if this is the first Sunday you're with us or you've missed a few Sundays, you'd have to have missed quite a few Sundays. We're in a series called Major Prophet from the Minor Prophets. And we wrapped up looking at Amos a few weeks ago. There was some major prophet there. If you missed out on that, you can turn back the, uh, the Wheel of Time and take a look at those sermons online. They're on YouTube, Facebook, and so on. You can also listen to them on our website. Well, this today is our second sermon out of the book of Habakkuk. And last week, Glenn gave us an intro to Habakkuk, looking at the first chapter of Habakkuk. And I don't know about you, but as I've been studying Habakkuk this week, I find him incredibly refreshing. He's an incredibly refreshing prophet, to me anyway. So maybe, maybe not to you, but I hope to you, because he's very real and relatable. Okay, so many of us walk through what life and face a lot of different challenges. And when we face these challenges, oftentimes we go, why? Why do these challenges exist? How long, God, will these challenges continue? And as we looked at this dialogue last week between Habakkuk and God asking his how long and why do you choose to do things the way you do things questions? Glenn encouraged us to fill out three by five cards with our, uh, with our angry prayers, our honest prayers, our humble prayers. And this is a format, a way of, of, of lamenting our circumstances in a way that is honoring to God. And he took the format that Habakkuk shows us and he put it into a, a form that we could really uh, fill out our own lament. Well, we received 40-something cards last week, and I'll tell you what, this is not something I would typically do. I'm not somebody that thinks to go, oh, hey, I think I'm going to have people fill out three-by-five cards during the service this week, right? You guys ever see me do that? Nope. It's because I don't think that way. I think about walking back and forth across the stage, <laughs> right? This is how I spend my week, this way and then this way, right? And you watch me do it week after week. I'm consistent, right? I'm consistent. But I don't think about writing on three-by-five cards. So as Glenn has asked people to write on three-by-five cards, I think in my head, man, that's something I would never do. As we got to reflect on the information that we received in these cards, it was incredible. It was incredible. Incredible for a couple reasons. Now, for Glenn, as he was sharing in our church council meeting on Thursday, it was hard. It was hard to see all the, the, the hurt the suffering, the dysfunction, the sickness that's going on in our midst. For me, my response is, oh, we're all people, right? So often we come to church and we think, you look around, right? Take a minute, let's look around. Sometimes we think to ourselves, why can't I have everything together like everybody else in the room? Well, I hate to break it to you. If the cards from last week told me anything, it's that everybody else in the room also doesn't have it together. Isn't that great? We get to not have it together, together. All right. And so that was really encouraging. And it was also encouraging to see that people followed the format of looking at what they're upset about, what's bothering them, and then turning it to praise. God, we see your character. We see that you are a God that is true to his promise. We see that you're a God that loves people. And in that, I was like, wow, 
wow, what an honor to serve a community that gets it. They get who God is. As I thought about this question of how long, it's a really biblical question. It's one that we see repeatedly through the Old Testament, and it's one that we see 11 times this exact language used in the Psalms. And I don't think it's irony, folks, that in the Psalms, many of these times that there's lament, there's this how long, there is at the end an expression of God's amazing character. In these 11 Psalms, so it's in case you want it for notes later, you're not going to be able to keep up right now. I mean, I'd be impressed if you can write this fast, but it's 6, 13, 35, 74, 79, 80, 82, 89, 90, 94, 119. Okay? Those are the Psalms that use this language. And I'm going to give you a few examples. Now, I am, I'm summarizing these as I read them. So as always, I encourage everybody, go read them because maybe your summary is a little different than mine. And that's a good thing. But here's how I summarize. In six, David's asking, how long will I suffer deep mental and physical agony or pain because of outside circumstances? And he ends the psalm by saying, the Lord hears and accepts my prayer and will deal justly with evil people. In Psalm 13, David says, how long will you be silent? And he ends that psalm saying, the Lord, the Lord's love is unfailing. It never fails. And in that, in that, I will trust. David in Psalm 35 says, how long will evil prevail? And he ends that psalm by saying, the Lord is righteous. Psalm 82, how long will you allow injustice to seem thrive? And that psalm ends with, the Lord rules all nations. Psalm 94, how long prosper? And that psalm ends with, the Lord destroys the wicked. I don't know if you can relate. Actually, I do know you can relate. <laughs> I know you can relate with many of these things. In some way or capacity, you're seeing today these same questions resonating in your own minds. And as we move forward into Habakkuk 2 today, I look at Habakkuk 1, and in summary, what I want us to kind of take from this, a little bit different direction probably than what we heard last week, but in the summary I want us to take from this is Habakkuk is confused by the seeming injustice of God, okay? He goes, God, how long are you going to let your people behave like garbage, right? And God says, don't you worry. I'm going to send Babylon, and they're going to clean house. And Habakkuk goes, whoa, wait, Babylon is way worse than your people here in Judah. Why would you send worse if I'm asking for better? God's not a God that functions in our timeline. We're incredibly impatient as people. And our God, he's not afraid to have things get worse before they get better. We see this throughout Scripture. 
to the suffering of Jesus himself, right? It's a pretty worse situation that brings incredible goodness. He's not afraid to see things get worse before they get better. Now, Glenn wraps up his sermon. So last week he talks about Habakkuk waiting for a response from the Lord. And he told us how important it is for us to wait, to be still, to listen. And I agree with that entirely. But something else Habakkuk's doing here in his confusion with the seeming injustice of God is he wants a response, right? He's posed a hard question in his mind, right? And this, to me, points out again that our minds are, are finite in our ability to understand God's full goodness. But he posed a, a, a question. And I think I can picture him getting up on his watch and being like, I've really come up with a doozy. Let me see what you got to say, God. Right? I think we do this. I think oftentimes we do this. Boy, I've got this figured out. How are you going to answer me, God? And so it says in, in, in 2.1, it says that he stands, he'll stand at his watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He's not just standing and waiting. He's standing and pondering and going, when God comes back, and this, actually, this, this line, uh, I'm waiting to see uh, what I will give to this complaint, that can also be translated as, I'm waiting to answer when I am rebuked, <laughs> okay? There's some understanding that he's, he's yelled at God and he's anticipating an answer. He's anticipating a rebuke, potentially. And he's saying, how am I going to respond to this rebuke? So he's standing, he's waiting, and he's, he's spinning his gears on a response that he'll receive from God. This reminds me of us, right? How often do I ask a question, uh, or do you ask a question and say, hey, blah, 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 question mark, right? And then you're already processing how you're going to answer when they give you an answer you don't really want. Anyone else done this? You know, I'm going to get in a healthy debate. And, and then I'm going to ask a question, one that I think's real clever. And this person's going to give me a response. But I already know how I'm going to respond to his response. And while he's talking, I'm not totally listening. Because I've got a response to give to his response or her response. Right? Anyone done that before? I have. So, as we move into this. We see Habakkuk confused by the seeming injustice of God. He's waiting, angry, and wants a response. And that's where we're going to move into uh, chapter 2. So I'm going to invite up uh, Andrea, and she's going to read chapter 2 to us this morning. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. 
Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will not they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities, and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So here we have an answer. And another beautiful part of Habakkuk is this, really in a very condensed book, we have a process, right? We have a a a prayer, a how long, a waiting on the Lord, answer my question, an answer, and then we have some transformation. That, um, and we're going to get to talk about that transformation in a few weeks. Today, we're going to take a look at this answer to Habakkuk. And the first thing that I want to recognize, or uh, uh, there's an element of this that has resonated throughout time. And that is in uh, verse 4. We read, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Okay? This is, this is a, a, in this verse, we have two elements that I'm going to talk about. And, uh, and, and I think a reminder to Habakkuk, actually, as I was listening to uh, Andrea, read it. I was thinking about 
being in Habakkuk's shoes and receiving this word. As Habakkuk was preparing an answer for the Lord, and God says what? He says in 4, I see the enemy's puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. I think this acts as a reminder to Habakkuk in the moment as well, right? Don't be puffed up. It's what the enemy's doing. The righteous will live by his faithfulness. What's faithful? Trusting in God, right? So here, God's taking a confused Habakkuk by the seeming injustice of God, and he's turning it and saying, trust in me. That is what the righteous will do. And as we approach this, I think it's in verse 2. Yeah, write down the revelation. You might want to have your Bibles open if you don't already, or your phone app, whatever. We're going to be cruising through a lot of different uh, scripture into here. So we'll be jumping around. They're not going to put it up on the screen, so mostly because I don't know where I'm going quite yet. But we're, we're working our way there, right? I have a direction, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure. So it says, write this down, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. This is like, put it on a billboard. Allow it so that when, when the person's running with it, you know, throw it on social media in all caps, right? When, when the, the runner's running with it, the, even the people he's running by can see it and know how important it is. Well, we see the evidence of this big billboard of righteousness by faith emphasized again and again and again and again and again in the New Testament, right? We're familiar with this. I'm going to point out a few examples. Romans 1.17 says this, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, and here he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Again, in Galatians 3.11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because, quoting Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. And if you're familiar with Hebrews, we studied Hebrews in the fall. This author loves to like rough quote things. So like he, he, he'll put quote, there's quotations. This is from scripture, but it might not be exactly what it is. And we see in Hebrews 10, 37, the same scripture emphasized. He, he, he's looking at like, it's like Habakkuk, it'd be Habakkuk 2, 3 through 4. And he says this in Hebrews 4, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. And... But my righteous ones will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And there are many, many, many more. But as I was studying this, I, I was listening to, uh, it's a Dr. Randall D. Smith, and he was, he's, uh, he, was, he was pulling this text apart, and, and he summarized what Jesus said in this first response to Habakkuk like this. So this would be his version of Jesus' quote saying to Habakkuk, you don't live by what you see. You live by what I say. You don't live by what you see. You live by what I say. 
And Smith defines faith or emuna in, in Hebrew or petis in Greek as God glasses. He says, uh, seeing things the way God says it is. As I was thinking about this and thinking about the communication from just two weeks ago, we, we sang a chorus uh, dur- during the sermon. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I was, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, isn't it curious? There's an assumption when we sing that maybe that we can see the path. But I would argue, if you're not looking through the word, if that's not how you're seeing, if the light isn't there, it's pure darkness. You can't see it at all. There's no path to be seen if you're not looking through God, glasses, faith, the word. So there's an encouragement to us. The righteous live by faith. It also makes faith a a bigger than just, you know, we think a lot of times of faith is like something that we do intellectually, but it creates a living faith, right? They live by faith. It's more than just an intellectual thing. It's a It's a thing that we walk out. So the second piece, so you're with me, right? Everyone's still awake? Excellent. So our first element is that we are living by faith. This is the encouragement to Habakkuk. This is the encouragement to us through Habakkuk and through the apostles in the New Testament. And the second element of Habakkuk 4 is he says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. And he, this is him walking into addressing the question that Habakkuk presented, right? So in chapter 1, Habakkuk says, how can you pick the Chaldeans, or as we know them, the Babylonians? How can you pick the Babylonians, these people that worship themselves and glorify their own strength? How can you pick them to be the hand of your judgment on Judah? And God, in that question, Habakkuk, I believe, is saying, you can't just take evil people and raise them up and just let them do their, live their lives, you know, and, and, and make people, other, lives, other people's lives awful, and, and they thrive. That's not justice. So God begins to answer this. He says, you see, they're puffed up, and their desires are not upright. And then he issues five woes. And these five woes are things that I think are incredibly relevant to all nations, not just Babylon. Because if we look through history, there are many Babylons. And I believe, in many ways, our own country has become a Babylon. Okay? You with me? When you read through the the woes, the how longs, the 45 or whatever from last week, you can see the evidence that our country. So here are the woes. The first woe is verse 6 through 8, and I'm going to summarize these. So again, read them, discern. And this is woe to the plunderer, specifically in this case to Babylon, but I would say this is for all Babylons for all time, all plunderers. And then he says, You will be plundered. The victimizer will become the victim. And we see this in Babylon. They had a very short rule. I mean, they were were on a tear for a while, but after they 
after they demolished Judah for the final time, I think they were only around for like 50 years before they themselves got plundered. We see the evidence of the truth. Verse 9 through 11, woe to the dishonest, the cheater, the thief, you will be shamed. Then verse 12 through 14, woe to the unrighteous builder, and this, with, in Babylon's circumstance, this was dealing specifically with slave labor, comparable to like Egypt and how they would utilize slave labor to build up their infrastructure. And God says, you will be undone or unbuilt. And here's a remarkable pause in the woes. We get to verse 14. It says this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that amazing? What an incredible thing to say in the midst of a bunch of, if a nation does this, this will come. If a nation does this, this will come, right? And then he says, for the earth will be filled with the filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I believe God is saying here in the midst of his woes is that every Babylon comes under one power in the end. Every Babylon comes under one power in the end. We move into our fourth woe, verse 15 through 17. Woe to the shameless. That's how I've titled this one. Woe to the shameless or the perverse. You will be shamed. And then I summarize the final woe, 18 through 19. Woe to the makers of speechless idols. You will be silenced. I want to sit on this one for a minute because I've talked about the slippery nature of idolatry in the past, but I'm going to talk about it again right now. It is so easy to fall into the trap of creating a God, right? And sometimes we even call that God the God. But the reality is that Oftentimes, when we aren't using the word to light up our path, right? When we aren't using the word to make the ways of God evident to us, it's easy to start building your own path, right? And you can call it Yahweh or whatever you want, but at the end of the day, if it isn't lit up by the word, if this is not saturated, if your perspective on God isn't completely saturated in the word, there's a good chance that you have defined God by your own understanding. And folks, that is limited. That is very limited. We see in chapter 1 when God describes the Babylonians, he says this, they are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. And then he says, strength is there, God. Has strength, has your own strength, your own understanding become 
your God. Be careful. It's easy to get there. When we let things that we're angry about consume us rather than seeing the promises of God as we walk, then those very things that we can be rightly angry for can turn our minds away from the thing we need most. And then, in the name of our own understanding, we build our own version of God. And even if that version shares many things in common with the God, if you built it, it's still yours. End of the day, you're worshiping you. I think of our nation. When 9-11 happened, devastation, right? Our nation has not been a nation that operated in God we trust, amen? It's not, really, end of the day. It's operated in, in our nation we trust. That's the way it's operated, okay? But then all of Congress comes out and stands before the altar <laughs> and says, in God we trust, after 9-11. Do you really? Well, I would argue, you do trust in it, God. But it's probably a God you built, okay? We see it. If you don't see it, then you've got blinders on. One way or another, we're building. We're building something to worship. And I want to encourage us. Let's not build something that isn't completely saturated in the word. Because if it's not saturated in the word, we can't see it all. Okay? You with me? God wraps up his response to Habakkuk like this in verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. God is holy. His ways are true and right and just. His ultimate purpose and ultimate promise is good. Right? We can rest assured in that. And so he's saying, just like he said in 14, my glory will cover the earth. I am to be glorified. I am in the holy temple. Let the earth keep silent before him. And so in this, Habakkuk pauses. I don't know how long the pause is, but he takes serious this command to silence. And when we look at his response in two weeks, we'll see that there's an incredible turnaround. There's incredible change. And that is part of the journey of walking through life. Just like Habakkuk chapter 1 says, there's there, there seems to be confusion on Habakkuk's part by the seeming injustice of God. And in chapter 2, God responds and says, trust in me, though things look grim, I am bringing about the good. Amen? That's a promise we can count on. And so as we walk through Habakkuk, and we'll see this transformation happening in two weeks, uh, in, the, in the third chapter, we see a progression from fear to faith, from protest to praise, from puffed up. To trusting in God. And that's the process that we walk through. 
Sometimes every day we walk through our fears, our anxieties, the things that we're having to go through, whether it's disease, broken relationships. And Lord willing, through the encouragement of each other, through the word and the Holy Spirit, you can grab hold of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And by this, by living in faith, we can see our own fears transformed. We can see our own protest turned around, our own puffed up nature turned to trust in God.